If you have your Bibles with you, please turn them open to Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to fly through Joseph's story. It's about 13 chapters in total. And I'm going to walk through this in a bit of a narrative manner. And then I'm going to pull out some of the scripture that's in the very last chapter of the book of Genesis. But if you back up to last week, we met a family. It's Jacob and Esau were the two brothers that maybe had a little bit of friction. Okay? And mom was Rebecca and dad was Isaac. And there was some turmoil within the family. You fast forward years later and you're looking at Jacob and he has 12 sons. And inside this family, there's this boy named Joseph. And the Bible says that Jacob loved Joseph the most. So much so that one day they created this ornate robe, this amazing, amazing coat of many colors that they presented as a gift to Joseph. Now, some of you may know maybe the storyline of that is there's films out there and plays and, and Joseph in this coat of many colors. And the brothers, imagine watching Joseph receive this gift from mom and dad, how they probably felt. Maybe a little jealousy stirring up within them, kind of frustrated that, well, why did he get a coat? Why is he all excited about this and we didn't get that? Well, Joseph doesn't help himself, and uh, he has a couple of dreams, and he can't keep his mouth shut. He ends up sharing with his brothers his dreams. One of the dreams was, he said, there were these, uh, these bundles of grain out in this field, and my bundle had all of your bundles come up to it and start bowing down. Cool dream, huh? Of course, the brothers, who just are annoyed with Joseph, don't exactly appreciate that dream. Joseph shares with them another dream that he had, that the sun, moon, and all the stars came and bowed down to him. Again, probably not the best thing to be sharing with your brothers who don't really appreciate you. So these brothers get a little ticked off with Joseph, and they say, it's time to get rid of this guy. In fact, let's kill him. We want to totally annihilate him. Get him out of here. We're done with this. And so they kind of put a plan together, and their idea of getting rid of him is to drop him into an empty, dry well, a cistern. We're just going to drop him in there, nice to know you, dream away, dreamer, and then walk out. Well, one of the brothers just had this heartbeat of compassion and says, I don't know if we should kill him. Let's sell him into slavery instead. Like all of a sudden, they don't have to feel guilty about what they're doing with Joseph. So they pick up on this grand idea, and they actually sell Joseph, and off he goes with some Midianite traders, and he lands in this home of an official of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And this man's name is Potiphar, and he, he is now at work in Potiphar's home. And the Bible tells us that everything Joseph would do for this guy, it prospered. He had favor. Things would grow. Things would be well taken care of. And Potiphar saw all of this, and he begins to put him more and more in charge of the things in his home. And so Joseph basically has total reign in this house of things that he's put in charge. And one day Potiphar's wife starts to lean in Joseph's direction, and it begins to get a little awkward. 
in fact. She wants to pursue him romantically. And Joseph's like, hey, your husband Potiphar has given me about everything that I could ask for, and yet why would I take his wife? That's wrong. And so she makes a move, and I'm sure it was really awkward and tense, but in the process of making that move, she winds up with his cloak in her hands, and he runs off, and he's sort of, he's innocent, but he's busted because the the cloak is still in her hands. So she cries out, asking for help, and makes up this story that Joseph tried to make an advance on her. And so in the frustration of all of it, Potiphar ends up throwing him into a dungeon, essentially prison, okay? And so as this story continues, though, Joseph is given jobs in prison by the warden. And the Bible tells us again that he begins to do these things, and there's favor, and the warden sees what's going on. And so the Bible tells us that Joseph is now put in charge of all the prisoners that are in this dungeon. So he's got favor, yet his circumstances are sort of going down the tube. And so there's a couple other inmates that are with them, and Joseph sees them one day, and they look like they're really sad. In fact, the Bible uses this word dejected. And Joseph asks them, what's going on, guys? Why do you look this way? And they actually had some dreams, and they couldn't figure out what the meaning or the interpretation of those dreams was. These two guys were a chief cupbearer and a chief baker for Pharaoh. And a cupbearer would be somebody that they, they are going to have something for the Pharaoh to drink, and they'd give that to the cupbearer. He'd drink it first. If he doesn't fall over dead, it's good enough for Pharaoh. Okay, imagine the life insurance policy on a cupbearer, Okay. So you're the one that at any minute, whatever you drink, you could fall over dead because you're doing this in protection of Pharaoh. Something happened along the lines that put them in the situation that they're in. And they have their dreams, and Joseph says, well, tell me your dreams, and I can maybe interpret these for you. And so as he's listening to them, this is the story of the cupbearer. He says, I see this vine, and off of that vine are three branches, and there's grapes that are coming off of those branches. And I take those grapes, and Pharaoh has his cup, and I squeeze those grapes right down into his cup, and he drinks it. And he goes, I do not know what this dream means. And as Joseph unpacks this and says, God's going to help me interpret this for you, he tells him, the three branches represents three days. And in three days, you'll be lifted up from out of this place, and Pharaoh is going to reinstate you back into your old position. Well, the chief baker's like, hey, interpret my dream. That's good news. And so he's like, well, tell me your dream. He says, well, I've got three baskets on my head. I'm carrying all of these baked goods. And the top basket, there's a bird that keeps eating out of that top basket. And I I don't understand what this means, uh, but would you be able to help me with this? And, And Joseph says, well, your three baskets represent three days. And you will be brought up from here, but you're going to be killed. In fact, you're going to be beheaded, and you'll be impaled on a pole, and you'll be pecked at by birds. And you imagine his reaction. (laughs) I want what his was, right? Okay? So three days later, this happens, exactly as Joseph predicted. 
The cupbearer is reestablished in his role, and the chief baker is impaled on a pole. And one of the things that Joseph said to the chief cupbearer is, remember me someday, okay? Remember this guy back down here who interpreted this for you? Will you remember me? Well, two years pass, and Pharaoh starts having dreams. And Pharaoh's dreams are messed up. Okay, he's trying to describe them, and he's got magicians that'll help interpret dreams, and they can't quite figure it out. And here's the dreams. He says, up out of the Nile, I see seven really plump, fat cows coming up out of the water. And right behind them is seven ugly, thin, sickly-looking cows coming up out of the water. And the fat cows devour the thin-looking ones. Please explain this. I also had another dream that seven big plump grains of wheat are in this field and there's seven thin, sickly looking grains of wheat and the seven thin ones swallow up the seven fat grains of wheat. Somebody please interpret this for me. And the cupbearer, when he realizes that nobody's being able to interpret this, he goes, there's a guy I know. Back where you had me, somebody in that prison interpreted exactly what happened when you reinstated me. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph comes up to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I hear you're going to interpret this dream. And Joseph says, well, God is going to give me the ability to do this. He, he gives glory to God. He says, God's going to be the one to do this, not Joseph. But tell me your dream. He begins to unpack this. And Joseph tells him, here's the interpretation. Pharaoh, in your land, there's going to be seven years of incredible surplus. And what you need to do is create a storehouse and throw all of this surplus in that storehouse. Because immediately following that seven years of growth is going to be seven years of famine. And you are going to need everything that you put in that storehouse to be able to move forward when it's not coming in. And Pharaoh's like, that's it. We need to do that. That's amazing that you could interpret that. I'm going to actually now put you in charge of rationing the food for me. In fact, I'm going to elevate you to the point that the only person who has say over you is me. I'm going to actually put you second in command. You talk about a, a promotion, right, from dungeon to second in command, Joseph sort of, uh, if you will, finally got that moment where he'd been waiting to get out of there. And as this story continues, this seven years of surplus comes, Joseph's working through the details, throwing some in surplus, getting ready for that seven years of famine. And when seven years of famine hits, I mean it hits hard. And it's not just in Egypt, but it's in these surrounding nations. And the people of Egypt are coming to Pharaoh's storehouses, and they're asking for, for him to feed them. And so he's charging them, and he's making a ton of money off of this. But some of these people from surrounding nations are coming to Egypt to be able to get what they need to live. And so you watch Joseph's story come full circle, because lo and behold, 
you have some Hebrew brothers that show up because they're experiencing famine as well. And Joseph realizes these are the brothers that tried to kill me and sold me into slavery. Part of this story that I didn't share is that these brothers coated, coated his coat with animal blood and they brought it back to dad and they said, he's dead. Dad's favorite son has been killed. And, and so you fast forward all these years, these brothers are thinking we're never going to see this guy again, especially dad, since he believes that he died. And this story kind of goes back and forth of moments where, where Joseph's working with these brothers and hasn't revealed himself yet, and he's sending them back home and bringing them back, and, and it gets to a point where they're having a meal together, and Joseph just can't handle it anymore. He almost breaks down. He just, he reveals himself to his brothers, and he, he's like, it's me. It's me. And, and they, they welcome each other back. And Joseph has them go back home, bring dad, bring, bring the whole crew, because when Pharaoh finds all this out, he says, they can come, they can live right here. We'll set a little spot off to the side just for your family to settle in. And so Joseph's clan moves in, and his, his family's back, and it all seems to be restored, okay? But here's the thing. If you fast forward into this story now, and there's a point where dad, Jacob, is failing in his health. And he gives his deathbed blessing and he passes away and immediately after he passes, the brothers become fearful of Joseph. Kind of like, well, he hasn't retaliated yet because dad's still alive. But now that dad's gone, we're in trouble. And if you will, look at Genesis 50 Verses 19, 20, and 21. Joseph sort of sets his brothers aside here and he tells them. He goes, guys, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Do you think Joseph thought about that when he was sitting in that cistern? And someday the situation I'm in right now, God's going to use this to save a bunch of people. I mean, do you think Joseph thought about that when he was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife and then thrown into this dungeon? Do you think, man, God's going to use my situation to save many people? Do you think he thought those things? I bet it was rather difficult in the moment to figure out how is God going to redeem this situation. And then you also see that moment where he was forgot about for two years. And finally he was called up to interpret a dream. You think, what was Joseph thinking in those two years when this cupbearer totally forgot about him even though they had a conversation? Remember me when you're out of here. Joseph says, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. There's a lot of ways you can go with Joseph's story and, in, and apply it personally. One of the big ones is forgiveness. Obviously, he was wronged. 
even though maybe he had it coming because his relationship was pretty rough with his brothers. But I think you can look at this story and you can see one of the pieces that's at work in Joseph's story is that God is at work in Joseph's story. And I know you can look at this and think, well, that's great for Joseph. I mean, how many thousands of years ago was that? But what about Craig Carlson today? How does this apply to Craig today in 2019? And I want to give you guys some promises from the New Testament that you can apply into your life because you can be on that same path, that same journey as Joseph, and you need some things to hang on to along the way. So if you'll walk with me now to Romans chapter 8, one of the first points I want to make for us today as followers of Christ is to recognize first and foremost that God is in control. God is in control. How many of you have ever heard that uh, sort of call and response where somebody says, God is good, and then you say, all the time, and then I say, all the time, and you say, okay, you're getting warmed up here. I want to try a new one with you, okay? I'm going to say, God's in control, and you say, all the time, and then I'll say, all the time, and you say, God's in control. Okay, let's just try this out. God's in control. And all the time. All right, look at me at Romans 8 28. Paul says that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God will cause everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That verse doesn't say that God causes everything. Okay, how many of you know that sometimes you've just simply caused the problem? Okay, you made a bad choice. How many of you know that somebody else maybe did something to you and they've caused the problem? Okay, bad choices can cause problems. The enemy can cause problems. God may allow things in our life, but I want you to know something. God will take all of those things and he'll work them together for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes. If I translate that a little bit, break it down, it's, it's this. It's a formula. It's a promise of scripture that, Jeremiah, if you love God and you serve God, he will take all of your circumstances and he will work them out for your good. Your job is to love him and serve him and he'll do his job. That's a promise for every follower of Christ. You just love God, you keep serving him, and God will work all of these circumstances out for your good. But that takes faith, doesn't it? I mean, that can sound all nice right now, but what happens when you're in that valley, when you're in a difficult circumstance and you're thinking, God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? Why is this at my doorstep right now? How do you handle that situation? You think, well, if God, okay, God maybe did a miracle for this person over here, but God, I've been asking for a miracle for years, and it still hasn't shown up. Do you love that person more than, than me? Are they, do they have more favor with, with you than I do? I mean, God, what's going on here? Those are fair and honest questions. How many of you have ever seen 
that play out in your own life. You see the miracle for somebody else, but you're sitting with your own situation, you're like, God, why aren't you at work here? And then you can begin to question, does God even really love me? Does he see me? And Paul answers that further as we continue in Romans 8. Go with me to verse 35. Paul says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? He's asking a question. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? And he says, does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or we're hungry or destitute or in danger or we're even threatened with death? He lays all these circumstances out and he says, if you're walking through something difficult, you can ask the question, does God even love me when I walk through all of this stuff? And Paul answers that here in verse 37. He says, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victories is ours through Christ who loved us. Not only is God in control, but here's a little bit of a reminder for us today, is that God loves you. He loves you. I just want to let that kind of sink in, because sometimes we walk through things and we question that very truth of his scripture. He loves you. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love. The enemy might want to plant that seed of doubt in you, thinking, I don't know if God loves me. He might love that person more than me because of how their circumstance is going on. But look, when it feels like his love is not with you, that's when you've got to go to the scriptures because the scriptures are filled with the truth about his love for you. God loves you, and don't ever forget that. He loves you. I think the last thing is, is okay, we know God is in control. We know that, that he loves me. And so then the last piece, this is, this is application. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. Does he really know what he's doing? That's where faith comes into play. If the Bible tells me if I love God and I serve God, then I have to trust that he's going to work all of these things for my good. And that takes trust. It takes trust. One thing I like about Joseph's story is that no matter what he was walking through, all the circumstances that were piling up, everywhere he landed, he just faithfully did his job and he had favor. He had favor with Potiphar. He had favor with the warden. He had favor with Pharaoh. Here's the thing. No matter what you're walking through, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Be faithful to live out God's purpose in your life, and he will give you what you need. It comes down to trust, though. It comes down to trust. God's in control. God loves you, and you've got to trust him. 
a very simple, simple message today from the life of Joseph. It's applicable for all of us here in 2019. And I want to encourage you to lean in because you can trust him. He's dependable. The Bible says that he's faithful. How many of you know that God has been faithful to you in your life? If you're struggling right now, keep those hands up. If you're struggling right now and you're wondering, is God faithful, look at these hands. You can trust him. You can trust him. Will you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you for this message today of of Joseph's life and how this applies to us today. Perhaps there's somebody listening right now that, that you're walking through a very difficult thing. I want to invite you to hold on. Hold on and trust him. That scripture that says he's going to cause everything to work to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Father, help us to love you and serve you and just leave the results in your hands. And that perhaps through our life of trusting you, just as Joseph shared with his brothers, that the things that happened to me put me in a place that would save people. And here today, Lord, whatever circumstance we're walking through, we want to see people come to know Christ. And so whatever we walk through, I pray, Father, that you would use it to advance your kingdom and that we would see people saved because of your hand at work. And so, Father, in this holy moment, I pray that you would, you would meet right here and right now with people who are struggling, who are questioning. Lord, I pray you'd minister right into their situation today. Speak into their heart that you're in control that you love them, and that you're asking them to trust you. Help us by the power of your spirit to trust. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that maybe you're, you're here this morning and you, you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Your life lacks a peace that comes only from his hand. And today, there's something inside of you. The Holy Spirit's telling you it's time. It's time to bring Christ into your life. And if that's you right now and, and we're praying together, I just want to invite you to, to receive Christ today. By faith, ask him into your life. Say, Jesus, today I want to receive you. I come to you a broken sinner that's in need of salvation. So I ask that you'd come forgive my sin and make me a new person. Fill my life with the things of God and help me to walk in your ways from this day forward. 
thank you for being my Lord and my Savior. And the sacred of this moment, just the things that God is up to, I want to take a moment while every head is bowed and eye is closed, that if there's somebody that just prayed to receive Christ into their life, will you just please acknowledge that with me and just simply lift your hand and say, Pastor Russ, today I prayed that prayer with you to receive Christ. Just simply lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Today, you prayed that prayer of faith and salvation. Father, I thank you for new life and people who are putting their faith and trust in you at this very moment. Father, come in and make it very real to them. The goodness and the grace of God through Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit today. Continue to guide us and lead us as we trust in you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.